Good morning, Grace family. If you have your Bibles with you, if you'll look up James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. This is what I'll be reading today in preparation for our sermon by Akin. In the Pew Bible, if you need to use that, page 1013, 1013. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the Lord's word. Good morning again, church family. Hasn't it been a joy going through the book of James? James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. We've been going through a series in the book of James called Real Wisdom, Real Faith. I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm feeling a little bit wiser so far in, in, in this book of James, right? James has been teaching us about how we can live out our faith with wisdom. So today... James is going to be teaching us that we can serve a God who is wise, who has the whole world in his hands, how we can serve him with wisdom. You see, who would have known that a, a little house on Shelter Lane will become the building that what it is now? Who would have known that that little congregation on Shelter Lane that only housed about 18 people will be still proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ 57 years later? You see, who had the foreknowledge to know that, these, that those 18 same people will move here on Racetrack Road? And the church would just be that long hallway that we now call our welcome center. The church used to meet in the band room to worship God. And then later, the church used to meet in the gym. And, and, and even on Shelton Lane, these people who started that church, they, they started it without a pastor. Who would have known that God would call our first pastor, Jack Dean, all the way from Texas to come and minister to the new thriving community in Bowie? Who would provide the building, the house, the colonial house right in the back door of that rancher so that we can do Sunday school, so that young families can come and hear God's word? Who orchestrated that? Who orchestrated that our first pastor, Jack Dean, will go home to be with the Lord? 
after faithfully pastoring for 15 years. Who orchestrated that? Was his life in God's hands? You see, if you have been around here long enough, you know that we have a God that provides. We have a God who gives and we have a God who takes away. If you've been around here long enough, you have seen God's raise, God raise up leaders in our very midst. You have seen God provide buildings upon buildings in our midst where the gospel of Jesus Christ can continue to be proclaimed to us right here today. We have a faithful, sovereign God. How God provided Jireh Place right down the road. Why do we call it Jireh Place? Because we have a God that provides. You see, what the book of James will be teaching us today is that we can plan out our days, but it's God who establishes our steps. See, God is going to be showing us how we can live in wisdom when we're making plans for our future. Making plans is not evil, but when we arrogantly boast that such and such is going to happen, that's when it becomes evil. You see, children, how many of you guys love the question, what will you be when you grow up? You see, raise your hand if you, if you became what you wanted to become when you're in kindergarten. We got a few hands. You see, you see, those few hands are very fact that we have a God who is in control of our lives. That's proof that we are not in control of our future. Kids, let me, in, let me let you in on a little secret. God knows what you're going to be when you grow up. And let your prayer be whatever the Lord wills for my life. Today's sermon is titled, What is Your Life? See, that's the big question in, the, in our section here in the book of James. He's saying, hey, you can be so arrogantly boastful about tomorrow, but what is your life? That you're here today and you're gone tomorrow. Who are you to boast about your future as if you are in control of it? James is saying that you are nothing but a mist. And what he's going to call us to do is to trust in the sovereign will of God for our lives. So if you're a note taker, we will be discussing this in four lessons. How we can have wisdom for our future plans. So lesson number one, we are not in control of our lives. You see, we all plan as if though we are in control of our lives. Take a look at verse 13. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Who does James have in mind here? 
Take a look at chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Is that who James has in mind, the rich? You see, I'm convinced that James not only have, have these rich people in mind, he has the, not only these businessmen, these traders in mind, he has us in mind as well. He has us who think that we can make plans about our future apart from God. You see, 10 years ago, did you plan to be where you are today? Did you do everything you decided to do last year? Or everything that you put on your calendar, your to-do list for last week, did it come to be? Did it come to pass? How many of us did the snow yesterday ruin our, our, our Saturday plans? Some of you guys are like, gee, I didn't even plan to come to church this morning. But here you are. Amen. Praise the Lord. You see, I want to be clear right up front and say that there's not a problem with us making plans about our future. But if we start using the very words out of my mouth so confidently, so arrogantly, Jesus would call this, James would call this type of speech evil. You see, my teenage brothers and sisters, are you planning what high school you're going to go to? Are you planning what college you're going to attend? Are you making decisions on what you will study? Will you stay in state or out of state? What career you will spend the rest of your life doing? You see, singles in our church, are you constantly thinking about who you're going to marry? Where you're going to live? How many children you're going to have? If you're going to have that white picket fence? Just take a look at verse 13 again. Who does James have in mind? He has all of us. See, parents, are you planning your children's exodus out of your home? As soon as they move out, are you planning all these wonderful things that you're going to do? That you're going to sell the house and move down south on the beach to collect seashells? What is your life? My senior saints, are you constantly worrying about what will happen when you die? Are you constantly worrying about, did I live my life the way I should have? Did I get everything off my bucket list? Will my family be okay when I'm gone? You see, if we're honest, we worry about tomorrow, don't we? You see, parents worry about if their children are going to become Christians. We worry about, will our children leave the faith? We worry about if we have enough money and time to make sure everything or everyone we care about is happy and safe. So what do we do? So we plan. 
And not only do we plan, we, say, we have so much confidence that what we have planned will come to pass. That we have it all under control. See, every single one of us is strategizing for our own success and our own safety. We are planning our, our own perfect lives here on this earth. We are mapping out our different goals for the day and for the week. You see, we even buy stuff that make us feel comfortable and happy and secure. You see, that's our very default. Our default view is that once we have put something in the books, once we have planned something, it will actually happen. See, James is making it very clear for us that such thinking is arrogance. Because guess what? You are ignorant of what will happen tomorrow. You are ignorant of what will happen next week. James has given us a news flash this morning, a reality check. You are not in control of your lives. You're not in control of your work life, your at-home lives, your social lives. It is all in the hands of God. See, what are you hoarding in order to feel safe and secure? What are you chasing on this earth that you think that will give you peace? You see, early on in chapter 4 of James, he, he, <clears throat> he already told us that what we have, we don't have it because we do not ask. You have not because you ask not. And he says we don't receive because we ask in order to spend it on our own passions. See, brothers and sisters, prayer is how we, we, we confidently go to God and we acknowledge that God, this is way out of our control. You see, prayer is the tool in our arsenal that says, God, I have no clue what tomorrow will hold. But I acknowledge that you do. I acknowledge that you know what I need before I even ask. And we acknowledge the fact that we lack the wisdom to know the future. Our future plans are not certain. You see, when it comes to, when it comes to tomorrow, we are in the dark. We don't know what our lives will contain or what it will look like. You see, James makes that clear for us. He's painting a picture for us. Take a look at verse 14. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Ladies and gentlemen, we are mist. We are here today and we may be gone tomorrow. Life is vanity. Life is your breath when you walked outside this morning. A mist. Let that sink in. James is saying that everything that you're planning for your future is fleeting. Our time is fleeting. Our bank accounts is fleeting. It's a vapor. Our work, 
Our earthly joys and pleasures, they are all fleeting. They will all come to an end. Our very own health is fleeting. Vanity, oh vanity. See, Pastor Mark, um, this past Wednesday, he said something very phenomenal, and I'm going to share it with you guys. We usually don't quote our pastors here, but he said this. If the pandemic told us anything, it has told us that we are not in control. Isn't that true, church? You see, how many of us made plans in the last two years that this virus has caused it to be delayed or, or canceled? Let me ask, how has this virus has caused you to understand that you are not in control of your life? We were shut into our homes. Right? Some, some of our church family that we haven't seen in years are stuck at home. that we miss so dearly, that we cherish so much? Let me ask you this. How are you facing the reality of death? What are you planning for you that you're thinking is going to give you life, that give your life meaning and significance and hope? What are you placing your confidence, confidence in that you think is going to last forever? See, James is teaching us something very important. We are here today and may be gone tomorrow. He's saying, hey, guys, I know you have plans. I know you guys are trying to leave a legacy. But that legacy is going to come to an end. And the only legacy that will last forever is the legacy of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Lesson two. It is evil to boast about what is out of our control. Take a glance at verse 16. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James tells us that boasting about our future lacks humidity. It's not wisdom from above. It's earthly. It's demonic. It's spiritual. Unspiritual. You see, this type of boasting is prideful. It's prideful because it promotes ourselves instead of God. That's why it becomes unspiritual and demonic. It is from the enemy. We are becoming a friend of the world and not a friend of God. Instead of drawing near to God, as Paul has been directing us to, we've been putting confidence in our flesh. Once again, brothers and sisters, it is not sinful to plan, but to be so confident your plans will come to pass is evil. You know why? It's, it's because we are putting ourselves on the throne of God. We say, no, God. You are not ruling in my life. You're not reigning in my life. I am. I call the shots. 
It's the Tower of Babel all over again. This is in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, when they, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That's what James, this is what James is describing for us. You see what the, what the flood of Noah have, has taught us, if it had taught us anything, is that the flood could not take away the evil in man's heart. You see, the Tower of Babel is just another picture of what James is describing for us. We say today we will do this and tomorrow we will go and do that. Seeking to control our own destinies, our own lives. Working to figure out our own purpose and how we can live forever. How we can leave a legacy. Striving to make it to our own personal heavens. What is your American dream? What ladder are you climbing today? What tower are you building for yourself? What are your short-term goals? What are your long-term goals? Church, do you see how arrogant it is to think that if you buy a car, that it will last forever? That it will never break down? That if you buy a house, that the roof will not leak? But if you live in the right neighborhood, that nothing will possibly go wrong? If you marry the right person, you would never have marital conflict. If you go to the right college, you can get the right degree to get the right job. Do you want to see how arrogant that is? If you send your kids to the right school, that they would turn out all right? Is that our goal? That they would never act out and maybe even they'd be going to the mission field? Do you see how arrogant that sounds? That's what James is saying when we boast about our future, when we boast about what we're going to do, when we, when we can do this and that. It's arrogance. Church, if all of this was, would come true, if all of this would actually happen, will we need God? Will we need a Savior? You see, I'm pretty sure James says these, the rich fool, right, in the, in the book of Luke. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. It's in the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 12. You want to take a look at verse 13 through 21. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide an inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge and an arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? 
for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up. For many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to the man, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Do you guys see how arrogant it is? to hold on to our plans with such a tighter grip. To hold on to our time, our homes, our children, our money, our careers. You see, God in his amazing grace, he calls us through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, to show us that life is not about us. It's about him. And then when we understand that and when we let that sink in, guess what will happen? Slowly but surely, the grip that we have on our lives will be open. You see, I'm concerned that many of us here this morning are planning and have already stored up plenty of our resources. And we've been sitting on it. We've been eating and drinking and being merry. We've been taking it easy. But guys, as we have learned, there's a catch our lives this very night can be taken from us. And guess what? We can't, we can't go with our fancy cars. We can't go with our bank accounts. Right? We're going to go to give an account to the one who can save and to the one who can destroy. He is the one true judge. You see, the reason why they call him a rich fool is because he was worried about all the wrong things, wasn't he? He lost sight of the most important thing is to be rich towards God. You see, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You don't see anything wrong with storing up treasures on this earth. You see, the God of the Bible, he wants a relationship with you. But it's not a relationship that, that he's promising that he's going to give you wealth and health. See, God doesn't promise us that. To be clear, it's the, almost the opposite of that. It's a life of suffering. It's a life of sacrifice. But it's a life of love. He wants you. He wants, to, he wants a relationship with you. But the Bible also tells us, this is what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we are dead in our sins. We are dead. We inherit sin from Adam. That is your human condition. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. But then it says, but God, rich in mercy, with great love, that while we were dead, he made us alive through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the death that you deserve because of your sin Jesus came and took that death for you out of his great mercy and his great love and his kindness towards you. 
that if you put your faith in Jesus, that you will come alive. And I know that may be hard. But let me tell you, that once you do that, you will, you will see that true joy is not in what you have on this earth. True joy is knowing God and having his life inside of you. The Bible says, by grace, you have been saved. You see, it's the love of God that will lead you to repentance. So if you're not a Christian here today, I plead with you to turn away from sin and turn to God. Let him make all things new in your life. You see, the only thing that, church, the only thing that we can boast in is Christ. Take a look at verse verse 16 again in James. Flip back to James. James chapter 4 verse 16 says this. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Notice he says all such. So James is telling us there that there's two kinds of boasting. There's a boasting that is evil and there's a boasting that is good. You see, our boast is in Christ and his cross, isn't it? You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it eliminates all boasting other than the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, Christian, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be standing around boasting about why we got there. Hey, man, I I helped all the old ladies across the street. Hey, man, I helped all the little kittens out of every tree. How did you get here? Oh, I, I ran into a burning building. And I saved the kid. That's not going to happen. You see, when we go to heaven, our boast is going to be in Jesus Christ and in his righteousness. That apart from him, I was dead and he made me alive through faith. I was wicked. I was wretched. God so loved me that he gave his son. That is our boast, isn't it? Our boast is not in what we have gained on this earth. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. Our our boast is going to be in Jesus Christ. You see, church, we can also boast in our suffering, can we? I know a lot of you are suffering this morning. You see, God is using your suffering to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is is a call to pick up your cross and follow him. So when we boast in our suffering, we're acknowledging that your grace is sufficient in my weakness. That God is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory then when you get to see your Savior in heaven, it'd be even the more sweet. Galatians 6.14 tells us this. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross would be the reason why we'd be in heaven, church. 
is because the sinless Savior died in our place. It's by grace you have been saved. Isn't it sweet grace? It's amazing. It's not by our own works so that no one can boast. Instead of boasting about our future plans, let's boast in our Savior, Jesus Christ. His finished work on the cross. This is the will of God, church, that we may boast in him. That is wisdom from above. Lesson number three. God is sovereignly in control of our lives. Do you believe that? Take a look at verse 15. James says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So he's still talking to the same people who says, come now, come here, come pay attention. You who say tomorrow you will do this and that. But instead of saying that, hey, say, if the Lord wills. God is in control of our lives, church. Just let that sink in. God is in control. God has the plan. There's only one place we can all turn to if we're looking for certainty. You see, we don't live a second longer than what he has wills. And we don't die a second sooner than what God wills. You see, for my non-Christian friends, this thought can be terrifying. Where will you go when your time on this earth is over? It is finished. If you turn away from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, I can be sure of this, that you will see God. And for my Christian friend, this is liberating. This is freeing. The very thought that God has us in the palm of his hand. So if he takes care of the birds of the air, how much more will he care for you? I was sitting down with my good sister, Jackie Bird, um, this week. And she, that's just talking. She just quoted um, this quote here. Um, <clears throat> it says, the robin and the sparrow said the robin to the sparrow. I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. You believe that? That you have a heavenly father who cares for you? He provides for the birds of the air, the lilies in the valley. He clothed them with splendor. Will we not seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? <laughs> James is not telling us to say verbally every time we make plans, if the Lord wills. Hey, man, you want to go for coffee? If the Lord wills. Right? He's not saying every time we make plans that we should, we should say this with our mouths. But I think for some of us, we need to. For some of us, we needed to be able to let it stink and stick into our hearts. See, James is not promoting legalism here. 
He's not saying that you, you have to say it all the time. Some of my Christians that, that want to be the Lord's wills police, every time someone says they're going to do something, you say, if the, only if the Lord wills, brother. He's not calling us to do that either. He's telling us to put up these signs in our own lives, in our own hearts, so that we can acknowledge that God is sovereignly in control of our lives. He decides whether we're going to do this or that. James is directing our hearts to submit to God. He's addressing our very attitudes when it comes to making plans. He's showing us that the way we must govern our lives is under the sovereign will of God. God is at work in every little detail of our lives. Do you believe that, church? He's, in, he's working in every little details of your life and in your death. He's in control of whether we would do this or that. Is this not the way Jesus lived? The book of James is so famous for Jesus saying that everything that that I do is from the Father. In James chapter 5, verse 30, he says this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then Jesus lived this way on his very, the hours before leading up to his death. Didn't he kneel down to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? That God, I plead that you would take this cup from me. But not as I will, but let your will be done. You see, even to the very hour of Jesus' death on the cross, under the rule of Pilate, that was no coincidence. You see, what happened 2,000 years ago was orchestrated by God. God planned for his sinless son to die on our behalf in that exact time in history. So that we can become a part of his story. This was not random, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. That was God's sovereign plan to save you, to save me. You see, our future is not in our hands, but is in the sovereign hands of God. Do you believe that? See, God has a perfect will that you are a part of. Isn't that good news? That you are a part of God's will. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 says this. See, Paul tells us that God has made his will known to us. Let me turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to what it says. Chapter 1, verse 9. He's making known to us. So Paul here, he's talking about the very blessings that we have in Christ. He said, one of the blessings is that God has made to us, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, 
things in heaven and things on earth. What Paul is saying is that the will of God is a mystery. It's something that we have to figure out. But guess what? God has made it known to us. God is bringing everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. God is bringing everything under his reign. In Matthew, Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go into all the world and make disciples. Is that true about your life? Do you see yourself in the will of God to bring everything under his sovereign will? To bring everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Paul is saying, hey, I know you guys are trying to plan for the future. I know you guys are worried about what college you're going to go to. I know you guys are worried about where you're going to be when you retire. I know you guys are planning what your lives are going to be, this and that. But when you plan, do you have God's will in mind? When you plan, are you, are you seeking to bring everything under his lordship? Under the authority of Jesus Christ? I know we are worried about what we do next year and how much money we will make. But do you truly believe that God is going to use all things, not only to bring everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ? That's the will of God to make you more and more like Jesus. We need to submit and trust in the will of God to unite all things to Jesus Christ. You see, all of the plans that we worry about, guess what they ultimately do? They are ultimately meant to point us to God's ultimate will, to make us more like his son, to show the world that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. His will is to use the details of our lives to unite all things to his son, Jesus Christ, to bring everything under his feet, everything under his rule, everything under his reign. All glory belongs to Christ, our king. See, God has made his will known to us. It is his son. It is Jesus Christ. It is his glory. It is his church. You are a part of it, church. So when we make plans, do we consult God? Do we seek the Lord in prayer? Do we, do we actually think, oh, whether I work at Burger King or whether I work at Wendy's, is, it gonna, is God going to use it to make me more like Jesus? Could he use me there to be a faithful witness of his gospel? Or what about our bank accounts? Do we say, God, how can you use me? How can you use these resources that you bless me with for your kingdom to bring everything under your reign? Brothers and sisters, you see, our lives are about trusting and carrying out the sovereign will of God. Do you believe this? Is this your prayer? That your will be done, your kingdom come.
as it is in heaven. Lesson four. The knowledge of God's will leads us to obedience. You see, the, the reality of God's sovereignty shaped not, shaped not just how we plan, but what we plan. Take a look at verse 17. Go back to James. Go back. Take a look at verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Notice the so there. That's, that word so can also mean therefore. What James is saying, therefore, since God has made his will known to you, what are you going to do about it? You see, in light of knowing the will of God, will you obey him? See, God has made his will known to us. James is saying, okay, how do we put feet into the will of God? You see, do you see how arrogant it is to say, I know God's will, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I know, now Christian, you can say, I know I should believe in Jesus, but I still want to be in control of my lives. I like being, I like being dead in my sin. Do you see how arrogant that is? I know I should tell someone about my sin issue, the sin that is in my life, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it too much. Do you see how arrogant that is? I know I should come back to church, but it's just too comfortable. Right here on my couch, it's just so comfortable. I know I should become a member of this church, but I'm okay being a regular attender. You, I know I should. What is your should? Or what is, what is the thing that you know that God is calling you to do? I know I should talk to my coworker about Jesus. What is God calling you to do, but you have ignored him? And you have made all types of excuses for why you, you shouldn't do it. Isn't that what James has been teaching us all along throughout his book? Flip back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. He says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forget what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Brothers and sisters, are you just content with the knowledge of God? Do you just come, did you just come here this morning to know more about God? Oh, did you, did you come here tomorrow morning to, to take what you have known and let it go sink into your heart? Saying, God, help me to do your will. Help me to do what you call me to do. Help me to be an encourager to someone. Help me to roll up my sleeve and love this person who's suffering. Help me to pray for my brothers and sisters. 
Church, let's be eager to say, what does God want me to do? Thus says the Lord. You see, humble submission to God's will is humble obedience to God's will. And I know we put this up a lot, but this is our mission statement here in this church. See, Grace Baptist Church exists to bring glory to God. Notice why we put that first. We, we exist as a church to bring glory to God. Not glory to me, not the glory to the other pastors, not to glory to the city of Bowie, but to bring glory to God. And how do we do that? By making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who passionately love God and people. Is that your mission, church? You see, God's will isn't an easy calling. You see, it would take everything that you have. It is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of suffering. It's a life of mercy. It's a life of grace and love and truth. You see, church, we may not know what will happen tomorrow, but we can trust that God is going to use it all to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Christian, in Christ, we have everything that we need for life and for godliness. You have everything you need in your vapor of a life to bring glory to God, to make disciples of our nations, to love God and to love people well. Do you believe that? I get it. It's not easy. I know the city of Bowie is very transient, is it? People are here and gone. We have a lot of military families in our church. And maybe you're thinking, what's the point of, of investing in, some, in these lives if we know they're just going to be gone? Hasn't James taught us anything? James is saying, such is life. We are all a mist, a vapor. Here today, and can be gone tomorrow. So are you going to stay on the sidelines, church? Or are you going to robe your sleeves? Saying, God, what are you calling me to do? I know you love me. How can I love others? I know you have accepted me. How can I accept others? I know you have made your will known to me. How can I live that will? For your glory and for your kingdom. We love to say things like, once my life calms down a little bit, once I get, get rid of this sin issue, I'm going to start helping disciple others. Right? Once life comes back, once the virus calms down a little bit, I'll come back to church. Once, once life gets back to normal, I invite that family over for dinner. Or fill out that job application. What's stopping you from filling out that job application, church? You name it. See, God's sovereign will, it frees us to make plans confidently. We can confidently share the gospel with someone because God is sovereign. 
God's sovereignty is way stronger foundation than anything that we're building our lives on. Everything else is sinking sand. You see, taking on this pastoral residency, it's terrifying to me and my wife. We don't know where we'll be tomorrow. We don't know where God's calling us. But I'm so grateful, church, that you guys allow us to be a part of his will. To, to be able to be orators of the gospel wherever he sends us. You see, Proverbs 19.21 says this. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You see, wisdom from above is trusting in the will of God for your life. Check out Proverbs 16, 19. It says this. The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes steps. We can rest assured knowing that when, when something you have planned doesn't actually happen, it is God's will. If your plans don't go through, God's plan will. See, church, don't let the good that you're empowered to do be left undone. Because your Savior, Jesus Christ, has never left anything undone. You see, on the cross, he said, it is finished. Your sin debt has been paid. You are forgiven. You are saved. Because he died the death that you deserve because of your sin on that old rugged cross. You see, the cross removes all of our striving, all of our performing, all of our works. The cross removes our control of our lives. It removes all of the arrogance that we have in planning our future. See, the cross humbles us under the mighty hand of God. Church family, what is your life? Is it not Christ? Is it not his glory? Is he your hope in life and death? Let's pray. Jesus, you are our hope in life and death. And all glory belongs to you. Nothing else will be able to stand. Not our plans, not our legacies, not our wisdom, not our earthly treasures. None of these things we're able to stand. But only your glory, only your honor will stand. All glory belongs to Christ our King. All glory belongs to you. Your kingdom will reign forever. God, help us to store up treasures on, in heaven instead of treasures on earth. God, we want your kingdom to come and we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.